0: Benjamin Franklin is famous for his pithy quotations. Perhaps you've heard some of these. Early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Or a penny saved is a penny earned. The first quote is so simple that even a small child can understand it. Basically, go to bed early and wake up early and you will have a more successful life. The second quote takes a bit more brain power to grasp, but it is nevertheless relatively straightforward. Essentially, it means that you should save your money. However, Franklin has another quote which I have never fully comprehended, which I can perhaps only fathom if I approach it obliquely. Franklin says, quote, He who falls in love with himself will have no rivals, unquote. He who falls in love with himself will have no rivals. Whatever could this mean? It is a strange quote, as the first part doesn't seem to lead to the second. It is not good to fall in love with yourself. We call that narcissism. But Then, Franklin says that if you fall in love with yourself, you will have no rivals. We would expect Franklin to say the opposite, that if you fall in love with yourself, you'll become unpopular due to your arrogance and you will have many rivals. Is it a reward or a punishment to have no rivals, to have no enemies? Well, Franklin seems to think that it's a punishment. As I see it, Franklin is expressing the loneliness and the meaninglessness which comes from narcissism or egotism. And interestingly, and rather disturbingly, a way to measure how grounded you are, how in check you have made your ego, is to take a look around and see if you have any rivals, any enemies. This seems to be Franklin's opinion. Now, here you might object to Franklin, and perhaps even to me. Aren't narcissists and egotists the people with the most enemies? They are usually spiteful, insecure, and vindictive. They dislike others as much as others dislike them. On the surface, you would be correct. Narcissists are often surrounded by enemies. But if we think about it more deeply, the picture turns out a bit different. Do narcissists really have enemies? If you get to know a narcissist, you discover that his only real enemy is himself. The people he perceives as enemies or rivals are ultimately insignificant to the narcissistic individual. They are only reflections of parts of his own psyche that he is in a private and personal war against. So when Franklin writes that he who falls in love with himself will have no rivals, the old founding father was troublingly spot on.
1: Carried across a Virgin Mary had an abortion. I still be carried in a chariot by stampeding horses. Had to bring it back to New York. I'm happy that the streets is back in New York for you rappers. I carried across I carried cross, a Virgin Mary had an abortion.
0: I you are listening to the shrifts. Life's in eighty. Opened eye. I'm happy
1: that the streets is back in New York for you rappers. I carried across. Y'all can keep your weak. From your corny producers There's a new king in the streets You're gonna get used to I was the old king in the streets That y'all once hated But now I reinvented myself And y'all all wicked nah, Nas N-A-S-Me Niggas against society
0: Nietzsche was also attuned to the idea That there is something both beautiful And supremely healthy About having enemies Nietzsche's writings on enemies Are largely a reaction against and a byproduct of his views on Christianity and on Jesus. Nietzsche, in short, never really bought into the notion that it was possible for a human to love all people. Jesus, of course, was known for this capacity. Nietzsche, however, argued that the love of Christians for all people, including their enemies, was hardly genuine. In fact, this love was often just a disguise for hatred. Christianity emerged during the Roman Empire when there was a wide gap between the upper and lower classes, between the patricians and the plebeians. The plebeians were so poor and downtrodden that they were often no better off than slaves, or they were slaves. In reality, these Roman peasants could never be superior to or equal with the Roman aristocracy. Instead, the peasants decided that If we can't be better than them economically or socially, we can at least be better than them in our minds. We can create a moral philosophy in which we are superior and they are inferior. Nietzsche would say that this moral philosophy was Christianity or Platonism. The ultimate trick of this peasant mentality was for the plebeians to love the patricians out of pity for them, out of pity for how they just didn't get it and more importantly, how they would all go to hell eventually. Put another way, for the peasants to hate the masters was just to hate them, but to actually go so far as to love their masters was to really hate them. Thus Nietzsche writes in The Genealogy of Morals, published in 1888, quote, This love grew out of that hatred as its crown, As the victorious crown unfolding itself wider and wider in the purest brightness and radiant sunshine, the crown which, so to speak, was seeking in the kingdom of light and height the goal of that hate, aiming for victory, trophies, and seduction, with the same urgency with which the roots of that hatred were sinking down ever deeper and more greedily into everything profound and evil, this Jesus of Nazareth, the personified evangelist of love, this savior bringing holiness and victory to the poor, to the sick, to the sinners, was he not that very seduction in its most sinister and most irresistible form, The plebeians and the patricians, the Roman slaves and Roman masters, were enemies. But they were not really enemies. Why not? Because the slaves could not accept how much they hated the masters, and instead tried to pretend to themselves like they loved their tormentors. The masters, by contrast, didn't view the plebeians as enemies, they hardly even noticed them. The Roman masters were too busy, apparently, enjoying life, enjoying their wealth and power, to even give a thought to their slaves. These were two ships passing in the night, not rivals butting heads. Nietzsche is very careful, then, to demonstrate what genuine rivalry looks like. Nietzsche says that someone can only truly be your enemy if you are capable of loving and respecting that enemy. Nietzsche writes in On the Genealogy of Morals once more, How much respect a noble man already has for his enemies, and such a respect is already a bridge to love. In fact, he demands his enemy for himself as his mark to honor. Indeed, he has no enemy other than one in whom there is nothing to despise and a great deal to respect. Nietzsche's conception of a true enemy is one against whom you form no moral judgment. You don't say, he is evil, she is immoral, she is a bad person. If someone becomes your enemy out of your own moral judgment, then he or she is not really an enemy just an abstract idea against which you set yourself. A true enemy, according to Nietzsche, is someone with whom you compete, someone who keeps you honest, whom you wish to defeat but not to humble, whom you, in a strange way, can actually love. If you look around a bit, you notice how true enemy ships and rivalries come from a place of strength and robustness. Today, this dynamic occurs most often in sports. We see how great athletes may hate their opponents, may taunt them, may lose sleep over them, but how this hatred and competitiveness is free of judgment, free of morality, free of masks. To be able to have this kind of enemy, you must think like a master and not like a pleb. It exists also, perhaps, in films in which there is a superhero and a supervillain At some point in the movie, usually the two figures meet face to face. Even though they hate each other and want to destroy each other, they look each other in the eye when they meet and their words are filled with dignity and self-respect. Indeed, it is difficult to think of any great historical figure who did not thrive through competition and struggle with his or her so-called enemies. True rivalries, whether in sports, politics, or art, Always seem to take root when both parties are vivacious, charismatic, and most importantly, authentic and honest individuals. The Haftarah for this week comes from the first and only chapter of the book of Obadiah. We read the entire book, consisting of only 21 verses, this week. It is the shortest book in the entire Hebrew Bible, in fact. The book of Obadiah is, to be frank, Largely 21 verses of trash-talking against Israel's enemy at that time, the Edomites. During the time of the first temple, from about 1000 BCE to 586 BCE, Israel's neighbors on her southern border, in what is now a combination of Jordan, Israel, and Egypt, were the Edomites. The Edomites were descendants of Esau, Jacob's brother, this serves as the connection between the Haftarah and this week's Parsha of Vaishlach, in which Esau and Jacob's rivalry comes to a head and then dissolves in brotherly love. As mentioned, the book of Obadiah contains a lot of trash talking against these Edomites. The Edomites are, without question, the Hebrews' rivals. As I read this book, I couldn't help but think about feuds between legendary rappers like, say, Biggie and Tupac or Jay-Z and Nas in which these stars compose entire songs disparaging and mocking and taunting each other. At one point, for example, Obadiah writes that if thieves invaded your land, you Edomites, they would not just steal some of your belongings, they would steal everything. And if grape-gatherers came into Edom, they wouldn't just take some grapes from you, they would take all of your grapes. At another point, Obadiah says that in the house of Jacob there will be a fire, and in the house of Joseph a flame, but in your house, Esau, there will only be residue. This was all, in any case, what counted as trash-talking in the ancient world. Today, it seems... When people hate, they do so covertly, through morality, through love, through passive aggressiveness. In Obadiah, there was something refreshing, even innocent, about the book's authenticity and openness in its absolute detestation of the Edomites. I would imagine that Obadiah felt rather rejuvenated and cleansed after writing this short 21-verse book. There is a particular form of meditation which deals with enemies. It is called the meta-meditation. It consists of five phases. In the first phase, you wish yourself well. In the second phase, you extend this kindness to a friend. In the third phase, it goes to a stranger. And in the fourth phase, you wish wellness to an enemy. And the fifth phase extends love and kindness to all beings on the planet. In the fourth phase, when you wish your enemies well, you are not, like the Roman peasants, disguising your hatred as love. The meditation acknowledges that you may have only ill will toward this person you are extending kindness to. But the meditation nevertheless counsels you to wish this person well anyway, despite your possible detestation of him or her. When you do this meditation, a beautiful phenomenon occurs. What happens is that you are removing judgment and morality from your feelings toward this person. You accept that this person is your enemy, but you ward off the corrosiveness which had hitherto existed in your relationship with them. In short, you make him or her into the kind of enemy of which Nietzsche would have approved, an enemy which leaves you feeling invigorated rather than embittered, a person whom you may openly dislike but whom you do not morally judge. So, if you don't have yet an enemy, go out there and find one. Find someone where it is truly a match made in heaven, a uniting of souls, two peas in a pod. Someone where it is clear that you don't like them, and they don't like you, and that this town just isn't big enough for the both of you. And then, look forward to the day when you will both get dressed up in your finest suits, and meet at high noon for a warm handshake and an exchange of pleasantries. Yes, this should be someone with whom you can happily stand back to back, march ten paces in opposite directions, spin back around, look each other in the eye for a moment of trust and respect, and yes, even love, before calmly firing your shot.
1: Let's get it all in perspective. For all y'all enjoyment, a song y'all can step with. Y'all appointed me to bring rap justice, but I ain't 5-0. Y'all know it's Nas, nice, yo. Grey Goose and a whole lot of Hydro. Only describe us as soldier survivors. Stay laced in the best, well dressed with finesse in the white tee. Looking for white meat. The girl who fly and talk so nicely. Put her in the coop so she can feel the nice breeze. We could drive through the city, no doubt, but don't say my car's topless. Say the titties is out. New Here's the anthem, put your hand up that you shoot with, count your loot with, push the pool stick in your new crib, same hand that you hook with, swing around like you stupid, king of the town, yeah I've been that, you know I click clack where you and your men's at, through the smurf, through the wop, baseball bat, rooftop like we bringin' 88 back, they shootin'. I uh, made you look, you a slave to a page in my rhyme book Getting big money, playboy, your time's up Where them gangsters, where them dimes at? They shootin' I uh, made you look, you a slave to a page in my rhyme book Getting big money, playboy, your time's up Where them gangsters at, where them dimes at? This ain't rappin', this is street hop Now get up off your ass like your seat's hot My lob niggas lit up the reefer Trunk of the car, we got the street sweeper. Don't start none, won't be none. No reason for your mans to panic. You don't want to see no ambulances. Knock a pimp's drink down in this pimp cup. That's the way you get Timberland up. Let the music diffuse all attention. Ball of convention, free admission. Hustlers, dealers, and killers can move swift. Girls, get close, you can feel where the tools kept. All my just coming homies, parolees. Get money, leave the beef alone slowly. Get out my face, you people so phony. Pull out my waist, the Eagle 440 They shootin', I made you look You a slave to a page in my rhyme book Gettin' big money, Playboy, your time's up Where them gangsters, where them dimes at? They shootin', I made you look You a slave to a page in my rhyme book Gettin' big money, Playboy, your time's up Where them gangsters at, where them dimes at? is running. Yo, my mood is real rude. I lay you out, show you a still do. Mobsters don't box, my pump shot obliges. Every invitation to fight your punk asses. Like Punch said, you ain't even in me classa Made batch, bins, backseat, TV plasma. Ladies looking for athletes or rappers. Whatever you choose, whatever you do. Make sure he a thug and intelligent too. Like a real thoroughbred is. Show me love, let me feel how the head is. Females, who's the sexiest? It's always the nastiness And I like a little sassiness A lot of class Mommy reaching your bag Past the fifth I'm a leader at last This a Don you wit My non to spit Niggas lose consciousness